Have you ever experienced a situation where everything was going one way, but then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, everything changed? Where one side was totally dominant and had a seemingly inevitable victory, but then everything was reversed? That's what we see here in Esther chapter 6, in the conflict between Haman and Mordecai, and we're going to see how God and his sovereignty changes everything. Hi, my name is David Cipriano. I'm a youth pastor and my goal is to teach the Bible to as many people as possible. In this podcast series, we're currently in chapter 6 of a study through the book of Esther. Backing up for some context, there's been a decree that's been signed to kill all the Jews. So back in chapter 5, Queen Esther, who was a Jew herself, she goes to King Ahasuerus to ultimately reverse this decree. When she goes to the king and he holds out his golden scepter, she asks for a banquet with the king and Haman that evening. And at the banquet that evening, she asked for another banquet. Now the reason why she went to the king and put her life on the line was to ultimately reverse the decree to kill the Jews. And now it seems as if two times she's missed the opportunity to ask the king the real question. Maybe she could have asked him at the court when he held out the golden scepter. Maybe she could have asked him at the banquet that she had on that day. And you might be wondering to yourself, why did Esther keep putting it off? Why does it seem like she's procrastinating asking the big question? Well, the Bible doesn't specifically say, but here in chapter 6, there's this crazy turn of events that's going to change the outcome of the entire story. You see, Esther is a book of the Bible where God's name is never found, but from looking at all of the details, we can see that God was always working. God was working behind the scenes to accomplish his providential plan. And even though we don't see his name, we can constantly see his evidence. And Esther chapter 6 is one of the most unexpected plot twists in the story, and here's three main aspects to the chapter. First of all, we see the king's discovery. Verse 1 of chapter 6 says, On that night could not the king sleep, and he commanded to bring the book of records of the chronicles, and they were read before the king. So on the same night that Queen Esther visits him in the court and invites him to that first banquet, the king couldn't sleep. So in order to help him sleep, he had people read the book of the records of the Chronicles to him. And this book was apparently so boring that he had them read to him to help him fall asleep. Now this book of the records of the Chronicles was not first or second Chronicles from the Bible. It was just simply a record of events. And during this reading of the Chronicles, the king discovers something that he never knew about before. Now if you've been following along in this podcast series, you already know the story, but the king so far hasn't learned about this yet. And here's what he finds in verse 2. And it was found written that Mordecai had told of Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's chamberlains, the keepers of the door, who sought to lay hand on the king Ahasuerus. And the king said, What honor and dignity hath been done to Mordecai for this? Then said the king's servants that ministered unto him, There is nothing done for him. So on the same night that Queen Esther came to him, he realizes what had happened years before. He realizes that two of his bodyguards were plotting to assassinate him, but Mordecai had stepped up, he had shared the information that he had, and he had saved the king's life. Mordecai is now finally getting recognized for his heroic act, and it was many years later after the fact. Imagine if you had the biggest single accomplishment of your life, and nobody knew, and you weren't rewarded until years later when somebody finally noticed. I graduated Bible college 
college back in December of 2019, and the Bible college that I went to didn't have a December graduation, so I wouldn't be able to walk until May of that year. But that May just so happened to be 2020, which was the COVID year, so our graduation got pushed even farther back into the month of September, and it was a really weird feeling to be walking almost a year after finishing the classes. But as odd as it felt to have a ceremony so far after I finished the work, I always knew that it was coming and it was still less than a year after it was done. And yet for Mordecai, he's recognized many years after the fact. It was a long time before he was ever recognized and it seemed as if he never would. You know, from Mordecai's perspective, life seemed pretty unfair because Mordecai had saved the king's life and yet he wasn't recognized or rewarded for it. Mordecai had stood up to Haman, he didn't compromise, and yet he was sentenced to death. Mordecai just keeps doing right, and yet he goes without reward. And not just without reward, but he was even punished for it. And this should make us consider to ourselves, do we do right to get noticed? Do we do right to get rewarded? Or do we just do it because it's right? Because your true character is who you are when nobody's watching. Because it can be easy to do right in front of others. It's a lot easier to do right when you know that a reward is coming for you. But who are you and what do you do when you're all alone? What do you do when there's no accountability and you know that you wouldn't get caught? Because that's the person who you really are. And when we choose to do right, even when we're unnoticed and unrewarded, that's when we're truly in the right. And this is the character that Mordecai displays because Mordecai keeps doing right even without a reward. And now finally he's getting recognized. Finally he's about to be rewarded. And the king wants to reward Mordecai, so he wants to find somebody to come up with an idea. And you might notice this theme throughout the entire book, but it seems like the king doesn't really have much of a mind of his own, because it seems like for every decision that he makes, he lets others do the thinking. When it's decisions that he should have made himself, he often goes to other people and lets them do the deciding for him. Now obviously, it's good to have counselors, it's good to seek help, it's good to seek advice, but it seems like King Ahasuerus has no mind of his own. He's extremely dependent on other people, and these other people in the story are often making bad choices and bad decisions, but because King Ahasuerus doesn't really have this good mind of his own, he often just goes along with it. And we see this pattern again of the king looking for somebody else to do the thinking for him. And in verses 4 and 5, it says, And the king said, Who is in the court? Now Haman was come into the outward court of the king's house to speak unto the king to hang Mordecai on the gallows that he had prepared for him. And the king's servants said unto him, Behold, Haman standeth in the court. And the king said, Let him come in. So if you remember from the last chapter, Haman had told his wife and his friends about how angry he was about Mordecai. And they suggest to him that he should hang Mordecai on the gallows. So Haman is going to the king to talk to him about it. But just as Haman was going to the king, the king was also looking for somebody to help honor Mordecai. And this meeting goes the complete opposite direction of what Haman was thinking. Verse 6 says, So Haman came in, and the king said unto him, What shall be done unto the man whom the king delighteth to honor? Now Haman thought in his heart, To whom would the king delight to do honor more than to myself? And we see once again Haman's pride being displayed. His pride has already been revealed many times in the story. 
He made everybody bow to him. He was furious if they didn't bow. But his pride is even further revealed here in chapter number six because Haman made everything about himself. When the king asks Haman how to honor somebody, Haman immediately thinks that this person must be him. And he's thinking to himself, to whom would the king delight to do honor more than to myself? You see, Haman is a selfish person and selfish people make everything about themselves. They'll take a situation that has nothing to do with them and insert themselves into it. They'll take a conversation that's not about them at all and they'll turn it into a story about themselves. Selfish, prideful people make everything about themselves and this is what Haman does and yet we often do the same thing ourselves because sometimes we want for it all to be about us. You see, pride isn't always about bragging and boasting. Pride isn't always putting down others and lifting up yourself. Pride is often just simply making everything about yourself. And this is what Haman does here. Haman wants for everything to be all about him. Haman's not thinking about anybody but himself. And so when the king asks Haman how to honor a person, Haman immediately thinks that this person who's so honorable must be him. Because that's how Haman's mind works. His whole world revolves around him. If he thinks that if anybody should be honored, it should be him. And we see through Haman's answer here that his selfish desires are being revealed. Here's what verses 7 through 9 say, And Haman answered the king, For the man whom the king delighteth to honor, let the royal apparel be brought which the king useth to wear, and the horse that the king rideth upon, and the crown royal which is set upon his head, and let this apparel and horse be delivered to the hand of one of the king's most noble princes, that they may array the man with all whom the king delighteth to honor, and bring him on horseback through the street of the city, and proclaim before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delighteth to honor. You see, Haman thinks that the king is going to honor him, because his whole world revolves around himself, and he tells the king how he should honor this man. In other words, his wild fantasy of how he would be rewarded for his great deed. Haman wanted to wear the king's crown, the king's apparel, he wanted to ride the king's horse and be paraded throughout the city with a person saying, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delighteth to honor. And so Haman is revealing his fantasy. He's telling the king his dreams here. And I want for us to notice here that Haman doesn't want money or gold or land or promotion. What Haman wants is recognition. He wants fame. He wants attention. And really the truth of the matter is, is that that's what many of us are seeking. We want to be noticed. We want to be recognized. We want to be praised. And these aren't always bad things to want. These aren't bad things to enjoy. But sometimes we let these desires take over our lives where we start living to be recognized. We start living with a desire to be praised. We do things only to get noticed. And sometimes we just become so consumed with what people think about us and what they say about us. And that's what Haman's doing here. Because the thing he wants most in the world is attention and fame and recognition. He wants to be noticed so desperately. And Haman's desires are coming from a very unhealthy place. And when we really get to the bottom of these desires, the truth is that sometimes we're so desperate for others to recognize us because we've forgotten that God has recognized us. Remember that God notices you. God cares about you. God sees you in your needs and in your hurts. You are not invisible to God. And sometimes we want for others 
failures to notice us so badly because we've totally forgotten that God notices us. We're obsessed with what other people think because we've forgotten about what God thinks. And sometimes our desires come from an unhealthy place because we've forgotten about God. And Haman tells the king how to honor this person, thinking that the honorable person is himself. But the tables are about to turn. And Haman's going to hear a shocking message in verse number 10. And verse 10 says, Then the king said to Haman, Make haste, and take the apparel and the horse, as thou hast said, and do even so to Mordecai the Jew that sitteth at the king's gate. Let nothing fall of all that thou hast spoken. So first we see the king's discovery, second we see Haman's pride, and third we see Mordecai's honor. Don't you wish that you could have seen Haman's face when the king told him this message? I mean, Haman thinks that he's going to be honored, he thinks that he's going to be celebrated, he thinks that people are going to notice him, and the king tells him to follow those specific instructions and to do them to Mordecai. And it's crazy to think that Haman was literally on his way to talk to the king about hanging Mordecai on the gallows that he had made, and yet in this very meeting he's told to honor him, his supposed worst enemy. It's ironic because Haman sets up this elaborate parade and ceremony to honor himself, and he ends up honoring Mordecai. And it reminds me of Proverbs 16:9, which says, A man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. Sometimes we think that we have it all worked out, but really God has the final say. Your power is not greater than God's. You cannot veto God. Man rules, but God overrules. And sometimes we think that we have everything figured out, but ultimately God has a final say. And this is exactly the case in Haman's story, because Haman thinks that he's going to get revenge on Mordecai, he's going to be celebrated himself, he's going to be paraded and praised throughout the city. He thinks that he has everything figured out, and he thinks that he has all the details worked out, but God always has the final say. God was working behind the scenes. God was directing his sovereign plan, and Haman thinks that he's a very powerful man, but ultimately he ends up being pretty powerless, and Haman had to honor Mordecai. Verse 11 says, Then took Haman the apparel and the horse and arrayed Mordecai, and brought him on horseback through the street of the city, and proclaimed before him, Thus shall it be done unto the man whom the king delighteth to honor. So we see that in this story, the tables have been turned. And let's notice for a second that Haman honored Mordecai before Mordecai ever bowed to Haman. Mordecai had been sentenced to die because he refused to bow to Haman, and the plan was all set in place. Mordecai's entire people group had been sentenced to execution, and the plan has even been set for Mordecai to be publicly hanged on the gallows, and you never would have imagined that Haman would honor Mordecai before Mordecai honors Haman. This had seemed like an impossible outcome. This was just a wild turn of events, and I'm not really sure who needs to hear this right now, but some of you may be about to cave and give up because doing right seems discouraging, it seems pointless, you're looking around at everybody else who's not taking a stand, they're doing wrong, and you feel isolated and all alone because you're standing while everybody else is bowing. And right now you're feeling unnoticed, 
you're feeling unrewarded, nobody respects you for the stand that you're taking, and maybe you're feeling tempted to just be like everybody else. Just give up because this seems pointless. What's the harm in just giving in and becoming like everybody else? Just be normal, just give in, everybody else is doing it and they seem fine. And let me just encourage you to just keep waiting. Your reward will inevitably come. And for Mordecai, he's been doing right for so long, but he hadn't been rewarded yet. And we see that he's finally rewarded here. And this seemed like such an impossibility. You would have never imagined that he'd be rewarded in this way. And this reminds me of another verse, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, where the Bible says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, forasmuch as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I imagine that there were times where Mordecai felt tempted to just bow like everybody else, save your life, just play it safe. But before he knew it, the tables have been turned and Haman was the one honoring him. Mordecai was wearing the king's crown. He was wearing the king's apparel. He was riding on the king's horse. And Mordecai is being paraded through the city with Haman declaring, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delighteth to honor. And we see that pride lost to humility. Verse 12 says, And Mordecai came again to the king's gate, but Haman hasted to his house mourning and having his head covered. And we consider this question, why did this great reversal happen? How are the tables turned in such a dramatic way? How was it that Haman honored Mordecai before Mordecai ever bowed to him? And how was it that a man who's gone unnoticed and unrecognized for so many years is suddenly the most honored person in in the country. Well, James 4, 6 puts it this way, but he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. You see, God resists the proud. He puts down the Hamans of the world, but God gives grace to the humble. He lifts up the Mordecais of the world. If you want for God to be against you and to resist you, then be proud. Be arrogant, be constantly seeking attention, constantly seeking approval, put down others. This is a great way to get God to be against you. But if you want for God to give you grace and to lift you up, then be willing to go unnoticed. Be willing to do right even when you're unrewarded. Be willing to put others first. Be selfless. Think less of yourself. Because God puts down the proud, but he lifts up the humble. God resists people like Haman, and he promotes people like Mordecai. And near the end of this chapter, we see this foreshadowing of what's to come. In verse 13, the Bible says, And Haman told Zeresh his wife and all his friends everything that had befallen him. Then said his wise men and Zeresh's wife unto him, If Mordecai be of the seed of the Jews, before whom thou hast begun to fall, thou shalt not prevail against him, but shalt surely fall before him. And we're going to see through the coming chapters that what they told Haman ends up being true. You see, Esther is a story of God's providence. It's a story of how God works out all the details behind the scenes to accomplish his purpose. And even when you don't directly see God, you can see his evidence. And we see that God uses a lot of odd details 
details and seeming mistakes to work out his plan. How is it that it seems like Esther keeps missing these opportunities to ask the king to reverse the decree to kill the Jews? Why does it seem like she keeps putting off the question? Well, in chapter 6, there's another event that has to happen first because the king discovers Mordecai's heroic act. How was it that King Ahasuerus couldn't sleep that night? Well, it was ultimately because he would get so bored that he would have the chronicles read to him and discover Mordecai's story. Mordecai's heroic act would be discovered at just the right time. Why was it that Mordecai saving the king goes unnoticed and unrewarded for five years? Well, it was so that this realization would be fresh on the king's mind when it came to reversing the decree. You see, God does a lot of things that may not make a lot of sense to us at first. But in the end, when we look back at what's happened, we can see that God was doing exactly the right thing all along. And I don't know what you're facing today as a listener. I don't know what your struggles and what your hardships are, but maybe you're questioning God right now. Maybe you're questioning what God is doing or what he's not doing. Maybe it seems like God is absent in your life, but I want for you to know that God is doing exactly what he should be doing. God is not making any mistakes. And in the end, everything's going to come together. Everything will make sense one day. And in next Monday's Bible study, we're looking at chapter 7 to see how it all comes together. And we're going to see the point that this entire book has been building up to. So thanks for listening to this episode of the Following Jesus podcast and subscribe for more biblical teaching like this.